everyone, uh, once again to Grace. As many of you know, for the last few weeks we've been going through a series of messages, a uh, series that's called Take It to the Limit. And our premise behind this series has been, as, we've, as we're considering godly balance in our lives, what does it look like to step away from the edge? What does it look like to have margin in our relationships, to have margin in our, in our schedules and in our finances? And today, I have a special treat for you. I want to introduce you to a guy by the name of, last, last Sunday, our last service, I actually said we called him Boo, but it's actually <laughs> Bo. Bo Bo is a good friend of mine. He's an associate pastor of a church here in town, but he also has a ministry called Running Light Ministries, and he'll be sharing with you a little bit more about that in a moment. But he has a, as we're speaking on moral margins today, I, as, as I was preparing this series a couple of months ago, I could not think of someone better to speak on this topic. Than Bo. So would you give Bo a warm welcome? <laughs> Thanks, Thanks man. Church is awesome. Hey, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be hard to outdo that first service, boy. They were fiery. It was good. It was wonderful. This, this is a wonderful church. Yeah, second service is better. Okay. Um, it's very nice to be here, and I want to let you guys know that you have a wonderful senior pastor. If you don't already know that, you guys. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's not many, there's not many senior pastors that um, want to engage their people um, quite like Pastor David does. Um, the ministry I have is called Running Light. It's, it's based off of the book of Hebrews, chapter 12 and verses 1 and 2 and following that just simply say to throw off every weight in the sin that so easily ensnares us. And the weight that we work with uh, that ensnares people is the non-marginal life of sexual immorality, and uh, which, is, uh, which, uh, which is something that I personally have dealt with in my own life, which I'll share with you guys, and I'll be very transparent with you guys on my life and, and how Christ has set me free from that kind of lifestyle. Um, but what I want to help you guys see uh, is that it's not just sexual immorality. Um, it, there's so many areas that we do push to the limit, and I tell you, Pastor Dave just has really nailed it with that take it to the limit theme, didn't he? I mean, that we have all areas of our life that we tend to push and push and push. And we live in a culture that is just so saturated with taking everything to an extreme, even more today than probably it was back even in, when I was younger. And, and um, I'm, I'm almost 40, if you can believe it. So I look at my own kids and I... I had my 11-year-old out there manning my booth. I don't know if you saw that, but it was kind of odd. You had this 11-year-old girl hanging out with a booth that dealt with some pretty adult material. <laughs> you know, you probably went, whoa, you know. But, um, you know, even my kids have to deal with issues that, God, I just, you know, I think, I just never thought that, that uh, I mean, and they deal with it every day, every single moment they hit the on button. To a little device or they pick up a device every time that happens there is a major decision that needs to be made and, and either either God is going to be so pleasurable in their life and in our life 
that we will always move towards the betterment that is in Christ or we will succumb to the things of this world. Running Light Ministries, we utilize the work or the um, curriculum of the international ministry called Setting Captives Free. And what this is, is it's online Bible studies for all different subjects of pe- that people push. Drinking, pornography, eating, and the list goes on and on. But what we do is we put them through Bible courses, daily Bible courses, and give them mentorship and accountability to help them understand what the Bible says about God and what it says about the joy of Christ and and what it says about different things they can be doing in their life daily to help them in these areas of their life. And uh, and we also give them someone that's going to get all their work and and, and that way there's some accountability there as well. So it's an incredible ministry. We minister to people all over the world. And I specifically have worked with people all over the planet just on the issues of sexual immorality. So I really thank Dave. I thank you guys for allowing me to come in and share the betterment of Christ with you guys today. Because that's really what how the angle I take on this subject of addictions and of these these non-marginal life, this life that we push to the limit? Because the answer always, or the question always is, is how do you get from this place of addiction to this place of freedom? And I want to share my life with you guys and let you know how that's happened, okay? Um, There's a couple passages that are near and dear to my heart. One of them's found in the book of Psalms. It's chapter 4 and it's verse 2. It says, How long, O sons of men, will you turn my glory to shame? How long will you love worthlessness and seek falsehood? And that passage speaks to me in so many ways about turning God's glory to shame. What God has intended, the context to which God has intended my sexuality, or what the context to which God has intended me to even eat, the context to which God has intended me to drink, we take that out of the context of God, out of a holy context, if you will, and we turn it into a secular context. And we Christians sometimes are good at that, right? Where we separate the holy and the, uh, and the secular. Where we know from the book of Romans to present your bodies as a what? Living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God which is your reasonable service, meaning there's no difference between the secular and the sacred to the Christian. You are made a holy person in Christ. So now everything should have a context of God. Everything I do, when we eat, whether you eat or drink due to the glory of God, 1 Corinthians 10.31, even something so easy as eating and drinking, we should have it in the context of, man, God, the joy of God. But this passage says is that we turn that glory to shame. And then it says, how long will you love worthlessness? And, and I want to share a little bit about my background with you guys. Because loving worthlessness has been so much a part of my upbringing. I wasn't raised in a, in a Christian home. I was raised in the San Fernando Valley of Southern California. North Hollywood, of all places. 
And being from a, a, a secular home um, and having a father who worked for a company called London Press, which was part of the porn industry of the San Fernando Valley, I, I grew up around a very liberal background. So the things of the world that the caveats of the world that we look at and they look so good, you know, that was what was normal in life. That's what we considered normal. We didn't think it odd uh, drinking too much. My dad was a drinker growing up. He was, he was an alcoholic. My dad struggled with sexual immorality heavily. So we were around that. We, we saw worthlessness. And, you know, growing up, I desperately needed to know that there was a better pleasure. I desperately needed to know Psalm 36, 8 that says, come drink from the river of my pleasures. That God was always, and and throughout the Bible I always see this, that God's always trying to get our attention by saying, I'm better pleasure. I'm better than that, man. Uh, and, And he just keeps going in that direction all the time with the people of Israel. Don't go to the idols, man. Don't go. Just don't do it. I'm better. I'm more enjoyable. And they do it. And you see this over and over, and we'll see how it even progresses into how Jesus deals with people. I desperately needed to to have examples of people who had better pleasure, but I I didn't really get that in my life, obviously. The only kind of pleasures that I saw in my life were those which the world afforded. But I found something I found that it really was an illusion. It really was false in the sense that it took me years to figure this out, but that really there was no satisfaction in any part of it. And and, and I didn't just learn this just from saying, oh, you know, porn is not, pornography is not satisfying. No, I knew firsthand it couldn't be. I saw it in my own father's relationship with my mother. And how that didn't work. I saw it in how over-sexualized I was growing up and how none of that worked. I saw how drinking never worked, how drugging never worked. And, and, And I don't want to just put it to those labels. I also want to include the areas of eating and and smoking and other areas that we get involved in that we take and we push it so far that it no longer is in that right context of the Lord, but it becomes, in a sense, worthlessness. You have loved worthlessness instead of pursuing this greater joy that's in God. The illusion of porn is something that I try to help men all over the place understand. See, if a person doesn't have Christ exalted in their heart and the pleasures of the world tore down in their heart, they will never find freedom. You need to have a huge Jesus. A Jesus who is so glorified and exalted and wonderful and beautiful and filled with pleasure and delight at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Delight yourself in the Lord. Come drink in the river of his pleasure. 
He's got to be that kind of God. He's got to be so good that when you look at sin that seems so big in your life, that it no longer seems that big. It kind of shrinks as the exaltation of Christ grows and grows in your heart. And I have to tear down in people, in, in men, and in my own life too, the false idols of the world and how they are idols, their worthlessness, and how it'll bring you in bondage. And me and my wife grew up together. We've known each other since we were seven years old. We were, and, and I want you to think that we were like, you know, we were like the sweethearts or anything like that. It wasn't. It was like war, man. It was like crazy. You know, we both are from just crazy backgrounds. Very, my dad thought Bill Clinton was a conservative. Okay, <laughs> yeah, just to give you an idea. <laughs> so, uh, you know, that's, uh, you know, our backgrounds were really crazy rough. And, and even her own friends, when we got married at Calvary Chapel out in Ventura County, the person who stood right next to her was an actress in porn. See, we grew up thinking that this was normal. that it wasn't marginal in the slightest. We thought it was actually a stepping stone, if you want to really know how we look at it out in Southern California, how we look at that industry, is we always looked at it as just an opportunity to work, to get a job, you know, like whether you're computer tech or something like that, or you're doing lights for the studio, you start off in that industry and you move your way to Universal. Isn't that weird? But that's how you think of it out there. Another passage comes to my heart. It's in Psalm 107, and it says this, those who sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, and literally this is where people are when they have given themselves over to an area of pushing something to the limit. And then they've gone one more step over is they are those that have sit, they now sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, bound in affliction and irons because they rebelled against the words of God and despised the counsel of the Most High. And I've been there. I've been at this place where literally in darkness, bound in affliction, bound in my own sin, unable to move away from it. And that's just no place, that's no fun to be in that, that area. You know, one of the most refreshing things for me, because it's such a topic where people tend to grip, right? When you mention things like sexual immorality, you know, we tend to grip. Yet Jesus spoke quite a bit of it, right? Some of his last words in the book of Revelation dealt with this subject. But I'm not alone in this battle against desires that want to go astray. This industry that, that I work and I, I deal and I fight against is a $97 billion industry worldwide. That's how big this giant is. $13 billion of that is United States Revenue. 
We have computers. 50% of all downloads of our com- in, on computers are for adult entertainment. It's not just a guy thing. That's a misunderstanding, and I desperately need to communicate that to you. One of the hardest things to help people understand is that your young people, your youth, especially your young women, one out of every every three of them view pornography. Women. And that's a shock to us because we go, what, you know, what's happened you know, in, in, in the culture? It used to be just a man issue. Well, I got to tell you that some companies, their revenue, over 50% of it is girls. Over 50% of their revenue is generated from females. And the teenagers in, in this room... You guys are the most, you guys are the, the big time viewers. You guys view it most in the United States. But my age is the most consumers. People my age, 39, we're the ones who purchase. But the most viewers, the people that view it most are young people. That means when you're home and your teenagers are hanging out late at night and they're on the computer... You know, they might be viewing. I would recommend you get some kind of filter system on your computers, like SafeEyes or something like that. You know, but this is the reality we live in. We live in a world that doesn't know Christ. That they're always going to push the limit. They're because they don't know the, ble- the the better pleasure and the better joy that is found in Jesus Christ. Now, I want to give you guys a test and and have you guys just kind of think through this. Let's see. Tell me who you think this sounds like. The biggest consumers of this adult industry in the United States are people that make $70,000, they vote conservative, they vote against abortion, they vote against uh, gay marriage. That is the biggest consumer market of the adult industry in the United States of America. Now tell me who you think that is. The church. It's the church. This is where my passion is for ministry. It's to help people. See, of course I want to share with people that don't know Christ, but my heart is for you. My heart, and I work with people, I work with men that are 80 years old. So it's not like it's a certain demographic and that's it. But my heart is, why don't we know the pleasure of Christ so well, the joy of Christ so well, the passion of Jesus so well, his wonderful joy so much, to where we would now go to this well that cannot hold any water. And these are the issues. And it's not just, again, it's not just in sexual immorality. But it's in drinking too much where we become, we become in bondage to that drink before we go to bed where you know, we have to drink before we, take an, before we go to bed where instead of drinking of Jesus. 
You know, or we have to eat, and we have to eat and eat and eat and eat and eat to feel comfort in our life instead of understanding that come drink of me of the river of my pleasure. God is saying, I got something so much better for you. Don't you want to be free from that? Don't you want something that's greater? So this message is all about leaving this and going towards something way better, way greater. Jesus deals with this all the time. And this is how I see Jesus dealing with it all the time. He deals with it in John 4, right? Woman at the well. He sees that woman at the well. This woman will just be very nice and say she was a woman who had five men in the, and then she was living not with her husband at the present time, you know? So she was someone who was definitely sexually immoral. But Jesus says to her, if you only knew who it was who stands before you, you would ask and I would give you living water. Meaning, if you only knew how good I was, you would forsake this and you would go towards that. If you only knew. So the question comes to us as the church is, do you know the pleasure of Jesus? Or is relationship with Jesus one of duty? And this is very, 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 very important. I'm going to read you a passage in the book of Matthew. Jesus said this. He said, The kingdom of heaven, in verse 44, is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found, and one day I found it. And when he found it, he hid it. And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. This is important. Jesus says, when you find me, when you find Jesus, when you find the real Jesus, it's like finding a treasure. For me, coming out of this lifestyle, I needed Jesus so bad, I couldn't believe it when I went to church. When I first went to church, I couldn't believe the student ministry in this church wanted to go out into the world. It floored me. I, couldn't, I wasn't from a church background, so when I went to church... And, and I desperately needed to know the pleasure of Jesus and I wanted to know Jesus. And I went to the church. I couldn't help understand why these people, when they had the treasure, he is the great reward, man. He is your shield. He is all this. Why, did, why were these students wanting to, why were they asking me about parties? Why were they saying, hey, Bo, let's go, you know, what parties do you go at? Where do you hang out at? But, and I, I couldn't quite get it through my mind. You guys have the treasure, man. Why would you, why do you want to hang with me out in the world? Do you, think, do you think that has something for you? Do you think porn has something for you? Do you think those people in porn are happy? No. We know firsthand, and I know firsthand, that when they can get out, they get out. 
It's not something you want to just subject yourself to. I found a treasure, and that treasure was Jesus. And for joy, for joy, I left everything to pursue the treasure. See, it wasn't a duty to leave the things that, the, you know, it wasn't like, you know, I'm taking it to the limit. I'm taking it to the limit, but you know what? I, you know, I, I, I go to church on Sunday and on Wednesday sometimes, and, you know, I'm kind of part of that small group. And I, I really like this, but man, Jesus, he's kind of, you know, I kind of got to, you know, come over here and, and kind of hang out with Jesus too. You know, and it's like, but I, I, I like this too. This is so fun, you know, and just, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't read that. I read that with joy over it. He sells everything he has with what? Joy. See, God can't be glorified if I don't leave these things and run to him out of duty. He's not glorified. It would be like me hearing the pastor say, Bo, I pronounce you husband and wife. You may kiss your bride. And I've been married almost 20 years. Wife's awesome. And I look at her and I go, Honey, I don't really want to kiss you. But because we're in this environment called a wedding, we're going to kiss right now. Now, does that sound like it would glorify her in the slightest? It does not give her any glory in the slightest. If you do anything for your spouse out of duty and not for joy, you do not glorify her and you don't glorify him. And it can't honor the Lord. See, Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. For the joy set before him. He thought of you and me enduring when he went on that cross. That's what led him. It's because he loved his bride. So it wasn't a duty for him to be nailed to the cross. It was his joy to do it. Because he loves making you white. Does that not just touch your heart? See, Jesus does things with right motivation. He does it for joy. And that's how we should be when we leave something. For me, it wasn't a bummer to to leave friends or to leave drugs or to leave sexual addiction and bondage and lust and all these things it was it was a fight i'll tell you that it was war don't tell don't i don't want you to think that but you know what it was i am now going to engage in this i'm no longer going to just minimize it in my life and now i'm consciously moving purposely moving towards greater pleasure in my life, moving away from the cliff and moving towards a greater joy. 
That's what glorifies God is when you see him as a wonderful greater joy than the idols of the world. And idolatry is simply just finding value in something that's greater than God, that you have a greater value in it than God. And that can be any part of our life. I have a quote from C.S. Lewis that I want to read to you guys, and it really kind of brings this point home from Matthew 13. It says, We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. And then he says something really cool. We are far too easily pleased. Far too easily pleased. See, the problem with porn pleasure is you're not pursuing pleasure enough. The problem with drinking pleasure is you're not pursuing pleasure enough, meaning you're pursuing the wrong pleasure. You're not really going for lasting pleasure that's found in Christ. But you're settling for something so far worse. Worse. Now, there's five things that I want to end with. And these are really things of, we, we call them really the beginning of breaking free from immoral non-margins. You know, and I know that's a lot. But it's freedom, breaking free from immoral non-margins. That area where you push it all the way up and it could be in your life, just any of the areas that I've mentioned. The first one I wrote down that we use all the time is seek the glory of God. We find that people that come to us all the time have wrong motivations for the reasons that they want to get out of an area of bondage in their life. For instance, someone will come to me and say, Bo, I would love to get off of this. I would love to not be doing this. And I'll say, well, why? And they'll say, well, I just want to be a better husband. I want to be a better wife. And even though that, that's noble, it's, it's good, I have to tell them you, it ain't going to happen. It's just not going to, not, that's not the biblical right motivation. See, Psalm 115.1 says this, not unto us, but to your name be the glory. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, whether you eat or drink, do it to the glory of God. Colossians 3.17 and Colossians 3.21 says, whatever you do with your hands, whatever you work, do it to the glory of God. Meaning the right motivation for anybody who is in that area of pushing that limit is to have the motivation of God's glory, God's name. And this is the whole Bible in a nutshell. God is making a name for himself amongst his people. That's what he's doing. The concern always in the Bible is for God's name. See, what's always the problem is, see, I won't, I won't share about my addiction, I won't say nothing about it because I'm afraid about what people are going to think about me. I don't want to share it with too many people because too many people might think that, oh, I've watched pornography, oh my gosh, when you don't even know that your kids might be watching it upstairs and they have for five years but you're so afraid to say something. But if you have God's name on your heart and you're like, Lord, give me a heart for your glory. 
Give me a heart for your name. Then now who are you concerned about? God. Ah, proper motivation. And if you have the proper motivation, then you will, you will now do whatever it takes to deal with the subject. And it doesn't matter how radical it'll get in your life. And for me, it's gotten, it has gotten radical. And for some men, it's gotten so radical that they go to resorts and they unhook the TV and they stick it in the lobby. For me, it was a time where my wife, who I've known since I was seven years old, who was a two-time runaway, ran away from home her second time at the age of 18, uh, ran to my home, and man... She loved me to death. I, I've known her my whole life. I'm, I've, I'm 39 now. I've, I met her when I was seven. The four houses down from her. She was in desperate need of her life. She dated me. She wanted to be with me. We dated two years. And yet I knew that I couldn't be the man that, I needed her, that she needed in her life. She needed someone who loved Christ, that Christ was the treasure, and Bo was messing up, and Bo was struggling, and Bo was stuck in addiction. And, 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 and most people would have been like, hey, well, you know what? You love me and I love you. You know, there's no way I'm going to leave you at this time. Her name's Sylvia, because this is your great need. You know, you, you've just ran away from your home for the second time. You've got problems in your house. This is your great need, so I'm going to stay there for you. And you know what I did? I moved 3,000 miles away. 3,000 miles away. Because Sylvia needed to learn something, and I did too. And that was, Bo can't complete her. Bo can't meet Sylvia's needs. Jesus can, Colossians 2.10. She is complete in Christ, not in me. And I could not show her that in her, right in front of her, there was no way. It would always, I'd always fall into sin and fall into sin. And the only way I could show her the beauty of Christ was to leave and to allow her to, to either look to Christ or not. But she needed to make that decision on her own, not with my influence or anything else there. If my mind was on me at the time and I said, hey, I want to get out of my stuff, I want to get out of everything, but really I don't want to tell too many people things, I want to be there for Sylvia, blah, blah. See, everything's about me. But when my heart's on the things of God, then I'm not like, how can God be glorified in Sylvia's life? How can God be glorified in my life? How can she see that Jesus is the treasure in my life? It's by me going after Jesus. It's by her seeing a man go after Jesus with everything he has. Like I told you, I've been married 20 years. And God's done an amazing work. First thing, seek the glory. Second thing, start drinking from a different well. Those who want to be free will start drinking from a different well, and that well is Jesus. Jeremiah fifteen sixteen says, When your words came, I ate them, 
And it says something very cool. They were joy and my heart's delight. For those that are stuck in addiction, we've been drinking for so many other wells. And that's why our courses are set up where you do it daily. You daily need to be drinking from Jesus. And I love Jesus. I love the word of God because it says, you know, Jesus says, unless you eat of my flesh, you cannot partake of me. Whoa, that's radical. Psalm 63, eat of my fatness, God says. Eat of my fat. I got a lot of it. And I kind of like that thought that God says, you know, I want you to consume me. I'm that good. We have to drink from that. Start, uh, the number three I have is seek a, a heart change daily. Repentance, seek this, Matthew 7, 7. Ask, seek, knock. Repentance is a daily seeking. Lord, give me a heart to change. Give me a heart to move towards you. Number four is enter into the joy of daily confession and accountability. And I put the joy of daily confession and accountability because so many times in the church we don't see accountability and confession as a joy. You see it as a burden. And that's not biblical. Those that are regenerated, we enjoy the light. It doesn't mean we don't sin. But it means that when we do sin, we don't like it. We don't want to sin. We're bummed by our sin. And so we bring it into the light. The book of James tells us to confess our sins to one another. And we read in the Psalms, some of the most beautiful Psalms that David wrote, Psalm 51, Psalm 32, is Psalms of repentance and confession and accountability is your strength. It's not a weakness. The more people know about Bo and, and his issues, the better. Because it brings wonderful accountability to my life. And that's a strength for me. So it's not just, I, I don't just tell one person. It ain't going to happen if you just tell one person. There's not much strength in that. And unless you confess, sin will always be there. Because it's like fungus, man. You've got to bring it out of the darkness and you've got to put it into the light to kill the thing. And that's what sin does in your life. It just wants to have its little secret area and just say, hey, no one knows you do this at night. No one knows that you're sipping the vino too much. No one knows you're doing these type of things, you know. It's like, you just continue to do it. It's okay. No, you're not hurting nobody. Just don't pursue the better joy. Bring it into light. Get with someone that loves you. You got a wonderful pastor. Say, you know, pastor, pray for me. This has been something that's been eating at my heart. I want Jesus to be a treasure, not this other stuff. The last thing is spiritual amputation. We call, that's what we call it. We get it from Mark chapter 9, verse 43. If your eye causes you to sin, what? Pluck it out. If your hand causes you to sin, what? Cut it off. For those that are walking in the grace of God, we spiritually amputate. And that's another move towards better joy. It's not a bummer to cut off. It's not a, like, oh man, I can't have my internet anymore. No, it's praise God that he's given me the grace to cut off this area 
man, of the enemy that has been hindering me for so long. And I just want to tell you that at the age of 17, a young boy from the San Fernando Valley, dad worked in the porn industry, gave his life to Jesus Christ, was set free. The sun sets you free. You are free indeed. Has given me a wonderful family, 20 years of marriage and going, an incredible marriage, passionate enjoyment of one another. My cup runneth over. Absolutely. There's incredible hope in Jesus. Incredible hope. If you guys all would, please bow your heads in a time of prayer. Father, we give you glory and we give you honor and praise, Lord. I thank you for just this church and the hearts that are here this morning and how receptive they are to such a hard topic, Lord, areas that are so sensitive to our hearts, so many uh, fears that we have, Lord, um, in bringing up areas of our life that we struggle with and we're so ashamed and so fearful. Lord, I pray that your loving spirit would touch people's hearts now, Father. And if there's been anything that has touched someone just in a special way and they just know that, Lord, you're, gonna, you're starting to stir that pot in my life, Lord, you're, and you're wanting to deal with this area, Lord, I pray that today would be a, a day of new beginnings for them. And Father, for those that are here that do not see you as a treasure, Lord, but now, Lord, their eyes are opened that you are the treasure to pursue with everything, Father. Uh, For those that don't know you, Lord, who now their eyes are opened to the wonderful majesty of your forgiveness of sins demonstrated on the cross and the wonderful power in the resurrection from the dead to change and transform lives. I just ask those people to repeat this prayer with me. Father, I come to you a sinner. I come to you a person that, Lord, my eyes have been opened to what you have done for me today. I see you now as a treasure. Lord, help me through your spirit to pursue you. Lord, I give you my life. Change me in Jesus' name.